New details on the Alec Baldwin accidental shooting. Dr. Fauci says vaccines are coming for kids as young as five in the next couple of weeks. And the Facebook leaks keep on coming. Monday needs to know. Let's go. Good morning, this is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Monday, October 25th. I'm Jill Wagner with Carlo Versano. Hello, Carlo. Happy Monday, Jill. How was your weekend? It was okay. How was yours? It was uh, it was pretty chill. Pretty chill over here. Didn't do much. Baby's not sleeping again. But uh, all is well. That's what matters. She's healthy and uh, things are good. Um, okay, a lot of new developments over the weekend in the story that we led with on Friday. That fatal shooting of a prop gun that was fired by Alec Baldwin on a movie set in New Mexico. That investigation is said to be focusing on the gun's chain of custody. Specifically, the two people who had handled that weapon before it was given to the actor. So the film's armorer was a young woman named Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. Uh, she was actually just 24 years old. She had the job mm. of setting up the prop guns. According to a police affidavit, the assistant director, Dave Halls, had grabbed the gun off of her cart and gave it to Baldwin, saying that it was safe to use before Baldwin fired what turned out to be a live round that we now know, of course, killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. There were also reportedly been at least two accidental gun charges on the set of this film, Rust, in the days before the fatal incident. Uh, crew members had also walked off the job, at least six of them, uh, to protest conditions on the set on the same day of the shooting. Uh, but the bottom line here, the big question, why was there a live round on set, right? There's never supposed to be live rounds on a movie set. Real guns, yes, but never real ammunition for obvious reasons. We had speculated, or at least I had speculated on Friday, that it's possible that this was a blank that somehow uh, killed this poor woman. But no, it was a actual, she was shot with a bullet. Um, there are already calls uh, in Hollywood uh, to make sort of, you know, guns CGI or just kind of like computer generate, um, you know, gunfire on movies. Kind of like if you've noticed you know, the back in the day, they used to uh, use squibs to, to get blood, like for fake blood on movies. That's all CGI now. I don't know if anyone else has ever noticed that. But like if you're watching like a violent movie, you can tell that the blood is 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 put in by computers now. Um, so, you know, I, it's not like this. This isn't like this is some big problem on movie sets. Right. This has happened three times in 40 years. Obviously, this is a huge tragedy, um, but it's it, there were clearly a confluence of things that went wrong on this one production that I suspect we'll find out more about. But it, but like you said, it's these two people that are really uh, the focus of this, this young woman who perhaps did not have the training necessary for this job. And then this assistant director who picked up that gun, thinking that it was safe, calling it a, quote, cold gun, when in fact, as we know now, it was a hot gun. It turns out this might be just, you know, an issue of workplace safety. Ultimately, you know, right. it, it's so. is kind of part of this bigger story. Um, ABC's The Rookie has already come out to say they're going to ban live guns. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to start to hear a lot more about that uh, from other productions as well. Baldwin did release a statement over the weekend saying, quote, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and deeply admired colleague of ours. I am fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred, and I am in touch with her husband offering my support to him and his family. I have to say, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Baldwin is also a victim here, right? I mean, he's not, he obviously wasn't, you know, harmed physically, but 
I mean, just imagine how you would feel after doing something like this. Like this is I, this by all indications, this was not he didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's not the actor's job to decide to figure out what's inside the gun that they're firing. And I saw some people on Twitter, including somebody who's running for Congress uh, and actually several members of Congress who were kind of like making fun of him over the weekend. It's like, first of all, that's just gross because like a person is dead here. But. I don't know. I just I'm trying to imagine what he must be feeling like after this, right? The guilt. I, he's absolutely a victim. I mean, his life, as long as what what seems to be the story checks out, um, right. his life will never be the same. Knowing that you yeah. did, took somebody else's life, whether accidental or not, just terrible. Ugh. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the pandemic right now. Days after the FDA reported that the benefits of the Pfizer vaccine outweighed the risks of COVID in 5 to 11-year-olds, Dr. Fauci says he thinks the Pfizer shot will become available to children that age by mid-November. Pfizer released data showing that its vaccine was 91% effective in preventing symptomatic infection for kids in that 5 to 11 age group. So assuming the FDA does give this the go-ahead, the question will become how many parents actually rush to get their young kids vaccinated. A recent Kaiser survey found about one in three parents plan to do it right away. I'm sure that that number will sort of go up as it has with past uh, cohorts as that people start to see that it's safe. Um, that happened with the with 12 and up when they uh, I think about one third of parents back in May said that they would get their 12 and up kids vaccinated. Then that slowly rose as it became clear that the vaccines were safe. So I don't know. I mean, is there an argument that the moment that any kid who can get a vaccine gets one, that's the moment that the pandemic like more or less ends? Because think about it, right? At, at that moment, the only cohort that is really unprotected are the one like the is the cohort that are to children are in, right? Young children, babies, toddlers, um, who are also the, the cohort that is least at risk of developing symptomatic infection from this disease. So I, I don't know. I think you could make that argument. I obviously am not a doctor. I don't know, really know when you can say the pandemic technically ends or not, but that is certainly one way that it would. Um, but meanwhile, you know, we forget this, but we're still doing 1,600 deaths a day. Those numbers are going down. New cases and hospitalizations are going down. But 1,600 deaths a day, it's just incredibly depressing, given that virtually every single one of those at this point is preventable. Um, a little update from Dr. Ashish Jha, one of my go-tos that I follow on Twitter. Um, basically, he says infections down 50% from September 1st. Um, last year, infections rose 100% from September 1st to October 31st. So that's his hope, yeah. at least, that right now we are on a, a quite a different trajectory, especially if we start to get the younger kids vaccinated. But I, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be I, I don't know how quickly parents of young children are going to rush to get their kids vaccinated, uh, but we shall see. Yeah. And I mean, it'll, the good news is here, if you want, you can basically you'll be able to have your kids fully vaccinated by the holidays. It looks like um, switching gears, a California travel blogger, one of two foreign tourists killed in a gang shootout in Tulum. Anjali Rayat, a 25 year old Indian woman who was living in San Jose, was eating at an outdoor restaurant just off the main strip of the popular coastal resort town. When she was caught in the crossfire of two warring drug gangs, a German woman also killed and three other tourists were injured. Uh, I saw this and I, I sent it to you yesterday because mm -hmm. I, just wow. I mean, Tulum is still such a hot spot for travel. Yep. Uh, I was there many years ago, but it, and it's just it's spectacular. It's beautiful. It's a little a little bit off the beaten path, but has become a little bit more mainstream recently. 
uh, just wow. That's what was uh, was uh, shocking about this story when you sent it to me because I hadn't seen it. You've seen things like this happen in places like Acapulco, um, but not in and even in Cancun and Playa del Carmen, not in in Tulum. Right. This really threatens Tulum's reputation as kind of like the safer, more laid back, more relaxed travel alternative to Cancun, Playa del Carmen, some of those other big hotspots, uh, you know, so much so that the Mexican government has been pinning its hopes on Tulum's popularity with foreigners. Earlier this year, they announced plans to build a major international airport there, as well as a rail link. So, you know, when you start getting Americans or foreign tourists dying in the main streets of a uh, uh, tourist city like that, that is a very, very bad sign. I've always wanted, I've never, I've been to Cancun, I've never been to Tulum, but it looks it's amazing. spectacular. And, and there's yeah. now, there the advice for anybody who is traveling there is just stay in your hotel or your resort. Just, just don't leave and venture off and go for lunch you know, in town. Yeah, which is terrible because that's part of the whole experience, right? Um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, who has said that she views the current level inflation as, quote, transitory, is predicting that high prices will linger before starting to ease by the middle of next year. Yellen acknowledged that Americans have not seen inflation like we've experienced recently in a long time. And she called the economic pains a temporary result of the pandemic, again, saying she expects more normal conditions by the second half of 2022. Uh, but look, they've been saying transitory for quite a while, and we've been talking about this for since mm-hmm. the beginning, I think. And, and transitory, I think, by definition, is, is short-lived. This is not short-lived. Yeah. This is not transitory. Um, so I, I think that the Biden administration and I think economists and the Fed are going to have to rethink the way that they're going to be viewing policy and, and in light of inflation. Well, I certainly think that, you know, they're, they are being hoisted on their own petard, as you would say, for using the word transitory that is coming back uh, to bite them now. I still think that what she says is generally probably going to be true, right? I don't, I just, you know, I know that I've said this before, but we shouldn't underestimate just how much of a disruption COVID has been to everything, right? To everything, to everybody, everywhere. We've really never seen anything like that on, a, on, a, on that scale since World War II, Right. I mean, I think it's just really I said, you know, I've made this stupid comparison in the past to like the scene in Titanic when the engines start to get up and running and like the you know, it takes a while for like the boat to start moving. Uh, I, I think that, you know, it's going to take another a while day, for stuff to another start. opportunity <laughs> to throw in Titanic. I love it, Carlo. Yeah. You know how I roll. Um, but I just think I I think it's going to take a while for stuff to really start working again after an, a disruption as big as this pandemic has been. I mean, I went to a restaurant. We went to a restaurant, went to brunch yesterday. <laughs> I went to this restaurant in Brooklyn. They were out of all beverages. The only thing they had was water. I've never even seen that before. No beer, no wine, wow. no iced tea. No, no soda, nothing. I was like, man, stuff is really starting to get bad when you can't even get anything but water at a restaurant, right? Um, the White House has been a little, I've been perplexed at the White House's tone about what's going on right now. Press Secretary Jen Psaki has called it the tragedy of the treadmill, which I think is, is very belittling and kind of condescending. You know, basically what does just, that mean? I, I guess saying, you know, you can't get your Peloton treadmill or you're not, you know, the, the, your treadmill that you wanted to get is going to be delayed when it's like, oh. no, 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 this is affecting people oh, who yeah, need yeah ovens and microwaves and refrigerators and real things to function in their lives. Um, Liz Reynolds, who uh, also is on the 
Biden's team. She's uh, the special assistant for manufacturing and economic development. She was on a call with the, the country's governors and said, you know, you won't be able to get a jacket in 15 colors, but you're still going to be able to get the jacket. N not a good look, guys. You know, what's happening here is certainly not Biden's fault. It, this goes back, as we've talked about, to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the Daily, by the way, if you're interested, it's a little wonky, but they have a great podcast on this. I, I, I listened to it, uh, you know, just in terms of what's going on with the supply chain. I, it was one of those podcasts that I listened to and I had to keep going back because I was finding myself oh, yeah. kind of zoning out. But it, it does do a very good job of explaining how we got to this point. And the, the big yeah. conclusion, if there's if you don't want to listen, the takeaway is it's not going to get better anytime soon because the problem is so incredibly severe and complicated. Um, and global, but, right. Yeah, but again, it's just, this isn't the fault of Joe Biden, but it is happening on his watch. And when everything is costing a lot more and when you can't get mm -hmm. basic stuff to your point, that's not good. It has major ripple effects throughout the economy, throughout the stock market. Um, I, I, think they, I think the Democrats need to maybe play their hand a little bit better here or at least change the way in which they're talking about it um, and realizing yeah. this, is, this is a huge pocketbook issue that's affecting everybody. Yeah, this is what people vote on. Uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey raising some eyebrows with a tweet this weekend in which he predicted that the world is on the precipice of hyperinflation. While it's one thing to predict faster inflation, hyperinflation was when prices rise so fast that they threaten to take down entire economies. Uh, we should note that virtually no economists are predicting that that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's it's this is this is like the mood out there in a way. I mean, I did a food shopping over the weekend. I bought a, grapes were like eight dollars. Um, it was just <laughs> wild. It was like it was barely. Yeah. I mean, this was a, again like supposed to be like this light food shopping. To, you know, just we needed a few quick things, and it, it was hundreds oh, yeah. of dollars. Yeah, that happened to me this weekend too. 160 bucks. I thought it was like, oh man, I thought for sure I wasn't going to break 100. That's the worst feeling when you're like, it's going to be 50 bucks, 60 bucks. And you undershoot it by a hundred. But anyway, what Dorsey is saying here, I mean, that this is a, that's an absurd thing to say. Like if that were remotely true, you wouldn't be able to get a 30 year mortgage right now at 3%. I mean, there's no question that this inflation situation is, is bad, but hyperinflation, that's like what happens in Venezuela. That's when it costs, you know, $10,000 to buy like a rotisserie chicken. That's not happening here. Uh, get ready to see a lot of new reporting on Facebook this week. More than a dozen news outlets have started to publish a series of investigations under the banner The Facebook Papers, based on documents from that whistleblower, Francis Haugen. The company reports earnings today, as well as a possible corporate rebrand, and will likely face questions from shareholders over the recent flood of bad headlines. So among these uh, the headlines in this new batch of reporting, uh, there's some new details just showing how easily hate speech thrives in developing countries, specifically India. Uh, there's reporting on records of employees who repeatedly raise red flags about the spread of misinformation on Facebook ahead of and during uh, the election last year. Uh, there's a story about the role that Facebook actually played unwittingly in the organization of the January 6th riot. Um, so, you know, we, we knew a lot of this, and if we didn't, none of it's particularly surprising. Um, that said, I mean, it's it's still news just in the sense that, you know, this 
these just headlines just can't they can't get worse for Facebook here, right? Um, but I read somebody, and I can't I can't remember where I read this. Otherwise, I would give him the credit that he deserves because I thought it was a fit, pretty fascinating take. I'll try and remember today. Uh, but this he, he was he wrote an essay saying that you know Facebook isn't the problem. Facebook is the software that the problem currently uses. Um, I thought that was a really good way of, of of framing it. You know, he his argument was the problem is that we want what companies like Facebook give us, right? We want pictures of hot people. We want news that <laughs> right. is perfectly turned, you know, tuned to outrage us and confirm our biases. If we didn't want it, if we didn't want those things on like a deeply human base level, Facebook wouldn't be so damaging. It's only damaging because it allows us to get what we want. So I think there's there's certainly truth to that. The problem, of course, is that Facebook's just n clearly not equipped to to handle the power that it has here. One of the possible solutions when we talk about regulation, um, and, and I'll be quick here, is, um, you know, so Section 230 is basically, is that law that has guided yeah. all of these internet companies, which basically says they are not going to be held accountable for speech on their sites, on their platforms, mm -hmm. which I guess made sense early on. And, and you have these companies who could get sued for millions and millions of dollars that you'd never have had Silicon Valley and, and the tech sector really develop if you didn't right. have that type of law on the books. Um, right. The argument that some have said, Mark Cuban actually ha is a big proponent of this, it's not the content as much as the amplification of the content, um, where he's saying, okay, so 230 could protect the speech, but whatever they choose to amplify by way of their algorithm, that should not be protected under 230. That's interesting, yeah. Um, all right, time for a little more to know before we go. The World Series uh, is set. The Houston Astros will face the Atlanta Braves after both of those teams won their pennants over the weekend. Game one tomorrow night in Houston. Northern California been getting hit with some much needed rain this uh, past few days. So much rain, it's actually causing new problems uh, just for that drought-stricken reason. Uh, region rather, the Bay Area saw 13 inches of rain on Mount Tamalpais in 24 hours this weekend. Uh, Marin, Sonoma, Napa, all measuring six inches to a foot. A parade of storms coming off the Pacific, being capped with this bomb cyclone that's colliding with an atmospheric river. I have no idea what those things are, but they're going to extend the severe weather into the week, at least for the next couple of days. This is actually the strongest storm ever recorded in the Pacific, if you could believe. Um, oh, I didn't see that, really? Yeah. Wow. The top Democrats said Sunday they are considering a new tax on billionaires, unrealized capital gains as a way to pay for the budget package. The tax is expected to affect people with a $1 billion uh, in assets or $100 million in income for three consecutive years, according to the Wall Street Journal. That's a very um, controversial uh, thing. We should probably talk more about this week, actually. Uh, President, former President Obama was uh, on the stump in Virginia over, this, over the weekend. He was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe in that state's governor's race, which is looking like it's going to be a toss-up now heading into the home stretch. Um, but for Democrats to tap in Obama, that shows that they're very worried. that he doesn't, he doesn't come out on the stump for just anybody. And another uh, surprising weekend at the pandemic box office. Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch wildly overperformed expectations, bringing in $1.3 million from just 52 theaters. That is the top opening theater average of the COVID era and perhaps a sign that people are willing to go back to the movies, not just for big superhero flicks. Uh, and speaking of the box office, Dune, of course, one of the biggest movies of the year, they opened to uh, 40 million, which is pretty wow. good. 
quite good, quite good actually, just given that it was also available to stream, uh, which is how I watched it. I watched it on my TV over the course of three days, which of course, which is just how the director intended it, I'm sure. But that's how <laughs> that's how you roll when you got a when you got a baby in the house. Um, um, but that that West that West Anderson movie, just quickly, that's very good news for art house movies for independent theaters. Uh, Wes Anderson, man, that guy crushes it all of his movies overperform expectations it's amazing all right uh, we got to leave it there before we go though i want to just quickly give a, a little mazel tov to uh, our family friend drew sklar on his bar mitzvah um his parents ryan and jamie good friends of ours and i couldn't go this weekend because we had a little uh child care issue last minute oh, so mazel. i just wanted to mazel, drew. I, I, yes they jamie listens to this podcast and loves it and i just wanted to say congratulations and i'm, I'm sorry i missed the big day my invite was lost in the mail, I guess, but mazel nonetheless. <laughs> um, all right, that is what you need to know for Monday, October 25th. Have a good one, guys.